All right, God and Father, I, I pray that, man, ultimately as we go on this journey to replant your church, as we, uh, as we dream, uh, we, as we ask to be invaded with your heart and we ask to do something in our city that will help people know you, walk with you, discover you, find your love. Lord, we know all of that. For any of that to happen, it's got to be you moving through us. And so even right now, God, at the beginning of the series, Holy Spirit, move as we open up your scriptures and look at the life of Jesus. Move as I speak today. Move in hearts as people listen. Lord, we need you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll call that the beginning, you guys. And I will welcome you to our brand new series, on mission with Jesus. Let me say a special welcome to our launch teamers, okay? From now on, Momentum Online is for you. You're gonna see that what we do at launch team meetings builds on this. This will draw you, we'll draw on this from time to time when we do launch team meetings. And so buckle up, here we go. This is a new day in the life of Momentum Online. If you found yourself here from some other place, somebody recommended this, you stumbled on it on YouTube or something else, listen, we're glad you're here. I don't care where you are or how you got here. We're talking about the life of Jesus for the next seven weeks. So I promise you, if you open your heart up to it, it will be transformative. Now, back to the mothership, back to momentum. In the new year, we've talked about this at our last vision meeting and at our, at our launch team meeting that is today. If, if you're watching this somehow on January 10th, launch, launch team meetings today. If you need caught up, let me just jump in and tell you this. We don't want to reopen momentum. Our goal is to replant momentum, okay? We want to replant, not reopen. We want to replant our church in the new year, not just open our doors and wait for people to come back. Now, why would we do that? If you hit the slide, you can see why we would do that right here. It says this, one, we got a gospel opportunity. Now, I could break down all the nerdy church stuff, but I'm just going to cut to the chase and tell you, COVID, for all of its hangups, all of its problems and setbacks, has afforded us the opportunity to reach our growing city with the love of Jesus, and we want to seize that opportunity. I'll tell you what else we want to do. We want to reintroduce and refresh our church. We want to reintroduce momentum to our city as a refreshed version of what it once was. And so that's why we're starting uh, one week from today with our cleanup event around the city. Hey, brand new t-shirts coming at you with a brand new look and logo just to create a freshness and to get us back in gear and back out in our town serving and loving on our city. Finally, for those of us who go on this journey together, I fully anticipate a deeper faith and a tighter bond. A deeper faith because nothing deepens your faith like rolling up your sleeves and following Jesus into his work. As a matter of fact, that's God's divine design for us as Jesus followers. And I believe you take any group of people up a mountain together, they're closer when they get up and back down that thing. And so as we journey together, I believe we're going to experience a bond in Jesus on mission together that many of us may not have even experienced before. So that's why we are replanting, not simply reopening. We're going to go on mission with Jesus. But first, let me tell you a story. Now, when Jesus was born, Herod the Great, who's the man in this photo, was the king of Judea. Now, he was a king. He's not the emperor of Rome, but he was a, what they call the king, and he oversaw an area which was referred to as Judea, the land of the Jews in Jesus' time. Now, Herod had some sons, and his dying wish was that his land would be divided among his sons. 
Herod died just after Jesus was born, and historians don't really know exactly what causes death, but they do agree that it was excruciating, it was painful, and it was gruesome. He had lost his mind in his later years. But before he did, he said, my one wish, he made it to Caesar Augustus. He said, take the land I oversee and divide it among my sons. Caesar Augustus grants the wish and in the early decade BC, first decade BC, his land gets split up among his two sons. Herod Jr. takes, this is the Jordan, this is the Sea of Galilee, where most of Jesus' ministry took place. Herod Jr. takes everything on this side, and Herod's other son, Philip, takes everything on this side. Now track with me. Herod the Great had so many faults and issues, but his one thing going for him was he was protective of and faithful to the Jewish traditions. As a matter of fact, he built the Jewish people their second temple. It was at his hands and under his rule that it was built. So then, he dies. He gives over his land and his rule to his sons. Herod Jr. says, I want to be like my dad. I carry his name for crying out loud. I'm going to continue the faithful tradition of serving alongside the Jewish people in Judea. Philip, we don't really know his story, but he must have been a little more rebellious because he says, the heck with it, Dad. I don't want this old religion. I want the new. I want Rome. I want Greece. I want the Greek gods. I want Venus. I want Zeus. And so everything over here, none of that Jewish stuff is going to happen in this place. We're going to be Greek. We're Greek in our culture, Roman in our nationality. And that's exactly what happens. So split right down the, sea, the, the river, uh, the Jordan River here, on each side of the Sea of Galilee, you have two totally different cultures emerge under Herod's two different sons. Now, why is that important? It's important when you get to 66 AD. In 66 AD, the Jewish zealots, this is even after Christ, Jewish zealots, get tired of living under the reign of Rome. As a matter of fact, the Jewish zealots were disappointed because they thought Jesus would be the Messiah who did overthrow Rome and set up an earthly kingdom. When it didn't happen in Christ, they got upset, they took matters into their own hands, and they waged a war by attacking Rome. So you had small Jewish guerrilla garrisons against the organized army of Rome, and when you look at the battles, you see that Rome just swept right through Herod Jr.'s side of the river and annihilated the Jewish people right until 70 AD when they stormed Jerusalem and tore down the temple. It was a devastating day for the Jewish people. However, by this time, the gospel was beginning to spread. Now, there were Christians spread all throughout this area and up into Rome and around the Mediterranean Rim. The gospel was beginning to spread. However, in these areas that were now crushed and occupied by Rome, the Christians suffered severe persecution. Maybe you've read about Christians being boiled in pots or sewed up in animal skins and fed to lions. That happened right in this time. This is when it happened. However, there was one small church in the Gerasenes, right over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that remained safe. Rome 
never went over into the Decapolis. Why would they, after all? Be under Philip's rule, everyone over there is Greek in culture, Roman in nationality. Let's leave them alone. That provided just enough space for this tiny little church to grow, to flourish, to disciple, to send people into the world to fulfill the mission of Jesus, loving the world back into the arms of their heavenly Father. And that's just what they did until the day in 300 AD when Rome falls at the feet of Jesus. Emperor Constantine declares that Rome is now a Christian nation. The craziest thing happened. He sent his mother out to explore the land. He wanted to know everything he could about this church and how they'd become so pervasive in the world around them. So Constantine's mother sets out on a journey to learn as much as she can. And she goes to that little church in the Gerasenes and she finds it to be the most powerful, influential church in the Roman world. As a matter of fact, she found missionaries being sent from this church to every corner of the known world at time. By the time 450 AD gets here, this church has a bishop that, that plays an influential role in the council uh, of Chalcedon, which is where they decided once and for all that the, Jesus was in fact fully God and fully man. It all flows back to this tiny little church over here. And they not only shaped the Christian faith, they shaped history. Hold on to that and meet me on the shores. I want to take you to the shores of the Sea of Galilee for just a moment. If you're familiar with the narratives in Scripture that talk about the life of Jesus, who he was, where he went, what he did, you know there was a time that Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee with his followers. He, he went from west to, to east, from, from Herod to Philip's land, to the Gerasenes. He crosses. If you're familiar with the stories, this is the Jesus calms the storm. The storm erupts on the sea. Jesus speaks to the weather and the weather obeys all of his followers start to wonder what kind of man this is who speaks to weather and weather obeys they show up at the shores and they didn't realize that somebody was waiting for them if you're watching it like a movie you'd see a man who's clearly not in his right mind twitching with an anxious fever an evil presence about him uncomfortable in his own skin and tormented is he mentally ill demon possessed did he lose his way? Was it drugs? Was it a bad decision that led to another? Which is it? The answer was probably yes. We meet him in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. It says, They, that's Jesus and his followers, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When they got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry and cut himself with stones. Enter the demoniac. 
you read other accounts or biblical scholars, they call this man the demoniac. He's possessed by a demon. An impure spirit has fallen on this man. And like I said before, I believe all of these things flow together. Mental illness, death, disintegration, sin, shame, drug use, all of it. You live in darkness long enough, it's only a matter of time before you can't tell the difference between the darkness around you and the darkness within you. This man is a case in point. Now, we don't often talk about demon possession. We don't often talk about demoniacs. But I think if you look around the world around you, you might see more of this man than you realize. Here in the scriptures, it says he lived in tombs. Translation, he was around things that didn't produce life. He found himself around dead things. Do you know anyone who keeps putting themselves around things that have no life in them? Do you know anyone who keeps going back to a relationship where no life can be found? Do you know somebody throwing endless barbecues looking for some sort of fulfillment, but no life can be found? Do you look at somebody who always chases the next investment or is trying to prove themselves important, but every time they search, no life can be found? It says the man was chained hand and foot. I wonder if you know anyone who's in chains. I wonder if you know anyone who's bound by something and there's something in them that keeps causing them to flee from what is right and true and good. Have you ever been around somebody who resists when good people get close or good things get close? They run from them, they push them away, and they resist. Maybe chained hand and foot is a little closer to home than we might realize. Do you know anyone? It says in the text that at night this man cried out. That means it, it, the anxiety had built up so much in him, there were no still moments. Do you know anyone whose mind tends to race at night? Do you know somebody where the whole world could stop and everyone could breathe and yet they wouldn't feel peace? Do you know anybody crying out and anxious even right now? It says he cut himself with stones. That's self-destructive tendencies. It's the eating disorder that you know is destroying you and not beneficial, and you know something's wrong in there, yet you keep going back to it. It's the person who knows the things that are growing in their life because of the drinking. And for whatever reason, they know it's not even what they want, and they keep going back. Do you know anybody stuck in a cycle of self-destruction? Maybe this isn't as far away as we might think. Finally, it simply says the man was isolated. No one went near him and no one was around him. And the ultimate result of this presence, of this evil in this man, is that he has distanced himself from people and people have distanced themselves from them. Have you seen that before? Gosh, I got to be honest with you. I'll tell you, I've seen some of this in my life as well. But here's my point today. I don't think demonic or evil or broken is as far away as we think it is sometimes. So, Jesus sees this man and this man sees Jesus. It says in Mark 5 verse 7, When he saw Jesus from a distance, that's our demoniac, he ran and fell at his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? 
son of most high God. In God's name, or in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. I will summarize and we'll jump back into the story in a moment. This man sees Jesus and falls on his knees in front of Jesus. By the way, if you've seen those things before, if you've experienced those, that list, if you're living in the list right now and you want to know the answer, it's right here in the text. It says this man fell on his knees in front of Jesus. That's where your answer is. He falls on his knees. He cries out to Jesus, Jesus, help me. Please don't destroy me. We believe that Jesus speaks to this man. He speaks to the affliction or better words, the afflictors. They're cast out of this man. They're screaming. There's chaos. So much unfolds in the story. I wish I could unpack it for you. So much happens though that this man is healed and people oh people heard what was going on on the shores that day verse 15 it says when they came to Jesus they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid Oh, not afraid of the demons that had left this man. He is whole now. He is healed. He is restored. They're looking at Jesus and they're saying, who is this man? Now, I want to take you on a little thought experiment. And I'll ask you to think like this. If this little story, Mark 5, we'll say 1 through 15, was all that we knew about Jesus, what would you know about Jesus from this passage? Let's imagine all the other gospel accounts had faded away, and this was all we had, and you had to write down as much as you could understand about Jesus from this one little encounter. What would you know about Jesus? I made a list. Well, here's what I saw. Jesus and the demon that were inside of this man knew one another from somewhere else. Their paths had crossed before. Jesus knew who he was speaking to. The demon knew who he was speaking to. Where was it that they had seen one another before? I could tell you this. In Jesus, there's safety. Jesus is not to be messed with. Jesus made disintegrated things reintegrated. Jesus speaks to affliction and affliction obeys. Jesus was not uncomfortable around messed up people. Jesus knew where to be and when to be there. Jesus can fix things like no one else can. I think if we worked on this, we could pull out some more truth about Jesus, but I want to center us on one truth about Jesus, guys. This is the foundation for our replant. This is why momentum exists. This is the motive of our mission, and we have to get this before we go any farther in this series. Can I just tell you in two words? Here's our, here's our conclusion today. Jesus saves. You could say he healed this man, he fixed this man, he removed psychosis from this man, he cast a demon out of this man, but ultimately Jesus saved this man. Jesus saves. And that matters. And I'll tell you why that matters. The good news for every empty East Laker who keeps throwing football parties and sits around on Sundays and still feels empty on Mondays is that Jesus saves. 
The good news for the anxious student who can't turn off the worrying is that Jesus saves. The good news for the mother of three who keeps looking in the mirror and hating what she sees is that Jesus saves. The good news for the family on the edge of falling apart is Jesus saves. The good news for lonely neighbors in lonely neighborhoods full of closed garage doors is that Jesus saves, that there is hurt that is close and present that we see every single day and there's a remedy and it's found in a person, not a plan, not a path, not some steps. It's found in a person named Jesus. Jesus saves. That's the motive for our mission. That's our why, you guys. That's why we're replaying. Why can't, why are we just not reopening the church? Wouldn't it be easier if we just kind of pick up where we left off? Why are we going to do this whole replant thing? Because Jesus saves. Well, that sounds like a lot. We, we're talking about, we're going to put on shirts and we're going to clean up trash and we're going to do a movie night. We're going to do things we've never done before. We're going to innovate. That sounds scary and there's risk involved. Why we got to do all that inconvenient stuff? Jesus saves. Why are we going to take these risks? Because Jesus saves. Why do we want to be on a team? Why do we want to help? Why are we doing this together? Because simply put, guys, Jesus saves. Now, here we go. Let's get into it. Yet again, uh, our news cycle is interrupted by the storming of Congress by a group of deceived and misled people. Now, I thought for a second... Oh no, are we going to have to do another series? I thought, hey, it's 2021. I'm done doing Do we got to do a series where we address this? Do we need to put something out? Do we need to shoot a special video? And then I realized absolutely not. Because what we're doing as a church and, and the message that we want to unpack in the life of Jesus Christ today is more relevant than other ever. You know why people stormed Congress? You know why there was upheaval in D.C. this week? Because there's a group of people who think salvation is found on the floor of Congress. There's a group of people who think salvation is found in the Oval Office. And truth be told, no salvation will ever be found there. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who holds salvation in his hands. Can I tell you something about politics while we're on the subject? Do they matter? Yes. Should you vote? Yes. Should you be a responsible American citizen? Absolutely. But can I tell you something about politics? Politics is just a reflection of majority morality. You get that, right? Politics is just a reflection of what the masses have come to believe. Now, let me ask you a question. When have the masses ever been correct? When has following the crowd ever been a good idea? Not only that, but if politics are downstream of the souls of the masses, it seems to me if you want to really shape our nation, the number one thing you should pour into is transforming the hearts and souls of this nation. People in our nation need a better story. Jesus offers it. People in our nation need hope. Jesus offers it. People in our nation are just as stuck backwards and broken as the man in this story. Can I tell you something, guys? Jesus saves. That's why I'm doing, that's why I do ministry. That's why I'm a pastor. That's why I'm committed to momentum. That's why I'm not going anywhere. Because I believe together, this is the number one thing we could do 
to transform our nation, if not the nation, at least this part of it. Jesus saves. Now, let's get into this and talk about what it means for us. Now, what comes next in this story might not be what you expect. If you go to Mark 5 and get into verse 18, you see that the people of this town, although Jesus had just done something amazing, some people aren't really ready for everything that Jesus has to offer. So they ask Jesus to leave. Jesus decides to lead. It says Jesus was getting into the boat and, and <clears throat> the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. I get this, by the way. He has been healed by... There are times when Jesus brings transformation to you. When you go from lost to found or dead to alive. When you just want to be with Jesus, right? I've been there myself. There's times and moments of breakthrough and salvation where I'm like, God, can we just do this? Can I just be with you? Can I just be where you are? This is where this man is. All he knew was chaos and Jesus brings light and life and he just wants to be where the light is and where the life is. And then listen to Jesus. It says, Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I would recommend you circle this verse. I would recommend you, you squeeze both sides of the phone and do the screenshot right now because this is 15 years of spiritual formation and transformation packed into a few sentences from Jesus. I've been with Jesus for about 15 years now. I'm still trying to get to this place. Because Jesus is saying, hey, I know there's safety for you. I know there's life and comfort in my presence, but I also am sending you to people who desperately need you. I know I have welcomed you into my family, but I have also created you for a specific purpose that's far bigger than you, and I need you to go and fulfill that purpose. Momentum, that's us. After 2020, after everything we've been through, it feels good. It would feel good to get comfortable. It would feel good to bed down. But I think we have a Savior who loves us too much to leave us where we are. This is the famous couplet of the New Testament. See, Jesus is Savior, but He's also Lord. And you don't get to say, I like this Savior business, but I don't want to do the Lordship. It's the famous couplet that you see in John 17. This is eternal life that you know Jesus. But John 17, 4 says, and then you go and glorify him by doing the work he's made you for. Ephesians 2, it is by grace you've been saved by faith. But you get to verse 10 and it says, and you're a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do works that he's already prepared in advance for you to do. See, Jesus saves, we obey. That's the call. See, Jesus saves, we obey. And Jesus brings light and life and salvation. And then as that happens, the next move is that we would walk in obedience to him. Did you see it? This man, all he wants is to be with Jesus. But the question is, will he obey? And thankfully, for him and for us, that's exactly what he did. Verse 19 says this, So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's all of the region around him, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. <laughs> Hold on to this. <laughs> 
Did you catch that? I think that, I mean, I'm just the underliner. I'm telling you, circle that one, screenshot it. That's our word. That's for momentum. He went away and began to tell Chula Vista how much Jesus had done for him. And people were amazed. I believe the name of Jesus is still powerful to this day. I believe a lot's been on, put on top of that name that we got to peel back so people can see it. But I've never met someone who saw Jesus for who he really was and didn't want more. This man obeyed. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, some, some of you who will be watching who are a little more seasoned than me. But I believe it was Paul Harvey who made famous the line, now here's the rest of the story. I can tell you that in this story, I want you to think back to the beginning of the message for a minute. Jesus saves, we obey. Jesus tells this man to stay and tell the world around him about the love of God and the way he had an encounter with Jesus. And that's just what this man does. Jesus would make one more return to this area. And when he does, there are 4,000 people there. Have you ever heard the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000? Yeah, they were the people that this man went and told about his Savior. Jesus saves, we obey. This 4,000 and the Gerasenes becomes this church. And in 66 AD, when Rome goes sweeping through the land of Judea, Rome leaves them alone and they begin to flourish. Oh, they're surrounded by pagans. The Greek gods and temples line the streets of their region, but they had just enough space to flourish. So one tells another who tells another who tells another about the great love of God as it's been expressed through Jesus Christ. And 300 years later, when Constantine bends the knee to Jesus Christ and sends his mother to learn about the gospel, this church is the group of people that were sending missionaries across the world participating in the council that shaped our view of Jesus Christ forever. This is the church that sent the gospel out through the Roman Empire into Asia, into Africa, and regions even beyond those back in the day. And it all happened because this one man chose to obey Jesus. Jesus saves. We obey. Momentum. Here's the question. I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus saves. The question is, will you obey? I love you guys. Peace.